to Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hi, podcast friends. Rhea here. I'm doing episodes in response to this great challenge that we're facing in the form of COVID-19. As you know, the nonprofit sector has never been more challenged with serving those that need us while dealing with complexities of social distancing, remote work, fundraising gaps, and leadership challenges. Today, my guest is Jennifer McRae, who is an expert fundraiser, senior research fellow at Harvard, author of the book, The Generosity Network, and founder of the Course for Exponential Fundraising. She is a wise thought leader and reminds us all that extraordinary times call for extraordinary moments of leadership, generosity, and community building. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. Stay safe. I'm thinking of you and your loved ones, and I'm sending lots of love and good energy for your good health and well-being. Take care. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be back with you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Always a pleasure. So, I mean, (laughs) this is such an unprecedented moment in time, and I'm really looking to you and folks like you to really help us to make sense of what now and what does this mean? And so I'm just wondering sort of quick takes as you think about the nonprofit sector, like what do you think that this moment calls us to do? You know, I think of Dr. King, whose I Have a Dream speech is actually called, many people know this and some of us don't know this, that it's actually called the fierce urgency of now. And now being this invitation to really be present in whatever a particular moment is calling us to do. And so this is a different kind of now than I think many of us as nonprofit leaders have maybe ever been in. And for me, it's a now that's calling us to ever greater community, to deeper self-reflection, and to really thinking about our leadership practice, you know, maybe in a deeper and even a new way. And so for me, you know, leadership is not it's not in any way, I mean, first of all, we're all leaders. People may have different positions on an org chart, but every one of us is a leader and we're called to leadership now, as I said, in a, in a, in a new, I think, more demanding and more invigorating, you know, to a certain extent. And, and so my definition of leadership is, is, is in no way a position that we hold, but it's a, it's, it is a way of being. And I like to use the definition that my, one of my colleagues at Harvard uses, which is this. His definition of leadership is accepting responsibility for enabling others to achieve shared purpose in the face of uncertainty. And I love all of that. And I'll say it again and kind of unpack it because I think it's so vital to our understanding of of who we are and how we show up in in our lives and in our work. And so that definition again is accepting responsibility because there's choice involved, right? Every day, all of us get up and we exercise agency, whether we're going to accept responsibility or not, whether we're going to you know, go forward and do the work or not. Are we going to sh- shrink, shrink back in fear? Or are we going to accept responsibility that there's real challenges that, that are facing us right now? So accepting responsibilities for enabling others, which means leadership is a practice of really engaging other people, not just to do your bidding, <laughs> you know, the kind of diva form of leadership, but really an invitation to call others to greatness, I think, in a way that is, that's, that's really relational. And we can talk more later about kind of relational commitment and its important in the, importance in this moment. But it's enabling others to achieve shared purpose, which is the work of strategy and 
understanding how we're measuring outcomes or not. And then to me, one of the most important pieces of it in this moment is under conditions of uncertainty. Because when, you know, I don't know about you, but I certainly ask, where's the leadership in this moment to a certain extent? Because, you know, if the world was certain and we knew it was going to happen a moment from now, we would just need really good systems, right? We wouldn't need leadership. One of the challenges, I think, for our our kind of knowledge-based, technology-based world is that we keep trying to develop systems that are, you know, quote-unquote, replacing leadership and, and, you know, agency and decision-making. And we're just seeing the fact that that's, you know, absolutely not working in in this moment at all. And so this, this moment of uncertainty is just, it's just an incredible moment in that, in that way. I mean, one thing that I keep thinking about is the fact that, you know, I've witnessed, and I'm sure you have too, that in this moment of challenge, I've seen such incredible community and coming together of nonprofit leaders, supporting each other, supporting the cause. And I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about the power of relationships, be it the relationships with our philanthropic partners, be it our relationships with our staff, with our clients and with each other. Absolutely. That's all critical. But unless we really can ground ourselves so uh, strongly and clearly in our relationships with ourselves, that's going to still lead us to a place potentially of some of the challenges that that happen in this domain where there's some dependency models versus an interdependency. There's relational commitment sometimes is kind of the, you know, we, we talk about it, but then it turns out it's just a veneer or a practice of marketing or selling somebody on something versus actually deeply relating in, in a way that's so grounded in commitment. But if you, don't, if you haven't done the work yourself of, of really understanding who you are in this moment, what does it mean to exercise leadership and bravery? Because I feel like, you know, we spent a lot of time in my class talking about how do we move from a safe place to a brave space. Part of the desire for us to feel safe in this moment constrain us from practicing bravery. And so part of the, the brave practice, I think, is really using this time to a certain extent to understand what's really important to you. And so some of the questions that I ask myself all the time, but I'm asking myself even I mean, this is just such a moment to ask some of these most important human questions of ourselves, questions like, what do I really need? Yeah. What will sustain me? What, what does it mean to be in community in a, in a, in a new and different way? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, things like, what's my relationship? Like really practical questions, like what's my relationship with money? <laughs> mm. because, because we do have to continue to fundraise. And I know this is a fundraising blog, so we're not really starting to think about the question of for just that question alone is so incredibly important because there's so many there's so many offshoots of that question what's my relationship to money and really thinking using this time you know i really encourage people to journal about it or think about it or talk about it or have small group conversations about it because money is, is absolutely a, an energy source it's a mm-hmm. source of energy it's it's you know unfortunately it's probably the densest form of human energy and it happens to very often in our culture be infused with values like power and scarcity and control and domination. And that's true. And we have to grapple with all of that, especially inside of ourselves and how we see money. And then, then there's the possibility. There's also the possibility to start to see and really reflect on our own relationship to money and how we're infusing it potentially with values like justice and generosity. 
and care and you know love and I you see so many examples of this right now and so I you know I think of all the time I taught this workshop one time and this wonderful woman who loved her organization so much she started this amazing organization that was focused on you know really maintaining and keeping a free press and her work was so important to her, but she could not make an ask. Like she just couldn't, she, she almost couldn't do the workshop because she knew we were going to role play in the workshop asking. And she was so terrified of it. And we had done this very simple exercise of, it's not simple, it's actually deeply profound, but it was a quick exercise where we asked the question of what was your family's relationship to money and how does that impact your ability to live and work and, you know, talk and operate in the world of money today. And she had this beautiful aha where she said you know in my family money equals safety and so when i'm sitting across from someone or on the phone with someone or even on an email exchange with someone i feel like i'm asking people for their safety you know no wonder it's so hard and she just made a shift in that moment and she said i'm not asking people for their safety i'm asking people for generosity you know inviting them to generosity of spirit mm. to take a stand with her in incredibly powerful important work that she's doing to commit in a, in a in a different way and it was just such a beautiful and you know of course her organization's i mean you would know it it's flourishing it's one of the fastest growing organizations out there and i feel like obviously lots of different things she did but that and she reports to me that foundational shift inside of her was so groundbreaking in terms of her ability to lead her organization. And then, it's, you know, back to the enabling others, to enable others to start to reflect on their own relationship to some of this for her team, for her board. It's been really transformational, she says. There's so much here. Um, and I, I uh, don't even know where to begin. But one thing I'd love for you to speak on is, you know, as you're talking, I think, you know, we talk and we think a lot about the work sort of external to us, but I think you're right, which is so much of the work has to come from the internal work that we do within. And of course, it reminds me of the work that we've done with you and with Marshall around the story of self, the story of us, and the story of now. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what are the sort of questions that we should be asking ourselves in order to sort of do the internal shifts that we need to meet this moment? I think, you know, the questions I already brought up are really profound Question. So, you know, in addition to that question about money, and none of this is disaggregated, these are really profoundly human questions. What do I really need? You know, what, what will sustain me? What can I trust that will always be there for me? This moment has brought up a lot of questions for me about my own practices as a consumer, for example. You know, I mean, I, our mm -hmm. culture tells us a lot of untruths, like I need to have 35 sweaters and 19 pairs of black pants. And right. so without even thinking about it, I, you know, have been in a habit, like many of us are, of just buying stuff and, and not really thinking, is this something that I really deeply need? And is this something that's going to sustain me? Is it something that, and, and just brought, for me, it's bringing up all these deep reflections on stuff that I have thought about, but not as deeply as I'm thinking about in this moment around supply chain, around, mm -hmm. you know, these, these questions of, again, like this whole cultural piece that, you know, all that all of us are grappling with, especially I think in, in Western culture of more and more and more and more and more being, a, you know, somehow that story gets into our into our lives and says somehow comfort equals a good life and mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's just not true and in mm -hmm. fact i think in a lot of ways it creates a, a very lonely life when we're mm -hmm. in that very mindless kind of consumption and so really yeah so we i think we get confused about thinking a good life is a comfortable life and we know all of us who've worked in this work for a long time know 
that you know that's just not true that we know from our impacted communities from just you know our partnerships our relationships that that mantra of consumer culture that says we need comfort to not feel alone is just not true and it's, i have a friend who's a who's a physician and he's saying that but um, a lot of the, the patients he's, he's been seeing, um, not around the virus per se, but just he said like smoking is way up among his patients. I thought, wow, that's so, so interesting. Why do you think that is? And he said, because, you know, it's not just the, the social isol- isolation. It's, it's the fact that we have so emotionally isolated in our culture. Mm. And he said he had a, a patient of his that said, I have 20, this was so profound to me. I have 20 friends in this package of cigarettes and they're always there for me. Why would I, you know, why would I give those up? And he was saying, you know, the invitation right now is to reframe our whole kind of worldview around that notion of we're totally alone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. As part of this invitation to not while we're socially isolating, not necessarily emotionally isolating. And there's, there's quite a bit to be said about that in the, in the realm of philanthropy. Well, I was just thinking about what you mentioned around relational commitment, right? So I think once you do the work of the self, the question then for me is like, well, how do you then start to build a different kind of relationship with your philanthropic partners? And so I know that you have devoted your life's work to really helping to redefine the, the paradigm of traditional fundraising you know, what you call transactional or fracking fundraising. And so <laughs> I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about sort of the traditional form of fundraising and then what it is you hope that the world aspires to. Yeah, thank you for asking that question. It, it, it is my life's work because, and I've been doing this a long time, more than 30 years, and you just see, you can go into any room and see any room anywhere in the world and see how many resources are untapped and waiting to be mobilized. And resources are, of course, money, um, but they're also people's time and networks and their creativity and their life experiences. And they're, again, that their their choice, their, their agency, their, you know, this, because a lot of, you know, it is actually easier for many people to stand on the sidelines than to actually make the choice that they're going to get into the, you know, into the work. Mm-hmm. And in this moment, it's like this huge opening <laughs> mm-hmm. to actually invite people in a way that we've never had the brave space, you know, the, the maybe the bravery to act. But, you know, traditional fundraising is, is we, we just, uh, we absolutely leave so many resources on tap for lots of reasons. But a lot of it is because we, we do practice kind of um, fracking fundraising. And fracking fundraising to me is just extractive fundraising. I, I, I don't know about you, but have you ever had like this really amazing conversation with somebody? You've had a connection with somebody. They're telling you about their work. You're really excited. And then they like at the 11th hour, you know, just kind of like go in and make an ask of you in, a, in an unskillful way. You know, that feels really kind of feel like, oh, I just got networked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean? that is not, that's fracking fundraising. And it's, it's in, and then that paradigm, people are seen as monetizable assets. Mm. I don't know whether we see our employees like that, whether we see our funders or funders like that, but that is just not the essence of who we are. We all have resources to mobilize. Some of us have more money. Some of us have more time. Some of us have different kinds of creative skills, but anytime any of us is seen as a monetizable asset, we're just feels exploitative and disingenuous and every element you're coming at it from the fundraiser's perspective, from the philanthropist's perspective. So the invitation is to kind of liberate ourselves from that paradigm, which first and foremost starts with our own clarity and who we are and how, why we care and what matters to us. And from there we can invite people in a, in a different 
just in a different way. You know, and the thing that always struck me, you know, when I took your class and all of the conversations that we've had since, I, I really remark on the fact that you use words and language in a very intentional way. And in particular, I think a lot about how you ask people to take responsibility for you know, inaction. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about like, what does that mean to take responsibility or to be relationally committed as opposed to like delegating tasks to people? You first address this question of language. Language really matters, but language is a byproduct of where you're operating from. So the Mm -hmm. single most important thing is to ask yourself, where am I operating from? Am I operating from a place of scarcity, lack, fear, control, attachment, (laughs) or am I operating from a place of commitment, um, growth, expansion, possibility, creativity, (laughs) abundance, you know, not in an ungrounded way, because sometimes those words get co-opted by quote unquote new new agey jargon, and Mm -hmm. that's not grounded, but in a really grounded, like put your own (laughs) sword between your feet kind of way, if you're really standing there in a grounded way, from there, the language that you're choosing is going to reflect where you're standing. For me, the language of help is not really the language of service because the view that, that I need help is the view that I'm somehow weak. Hmm. You know, the view of there is an opportunity for us to co-collaborate and, inter- and be interdependent is more of a service kind of, you know, to be in service of each other is, is a different dynamic than to help. So instead of saying, can you help me, for example, reach out to 10 people this week via Zoom <laughs> to make sure they're clear on what, our, you know, what, we're, what we're working on right now, I would, I would invite people by saying, would you be willing to take responsibility for that? And there's just a different dynamic at work in the language of responsibility where people aren't are committed. And there's a commitment in that, right? Because I, I don't know about you, but for me, if I if I say, yeah, you know, I'll help you. I'll get around to it when I get around to it. It's not going to be a high priority. But if I say, yes, I, I've committed and I'll take responsibility for it, I'm going to do it. And mm-hmm. then, you know, of course, being smart and saying, all right, let's put some timing. Because, you know, using structure really matters in this space too. So, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes we think of structure as really oppressive. And so we go totally structure, structureless. <laughs> or, you know, structure actually is oppressive because it's so hierarchical. But using structure as a way to, to actually exercise kind of the freedom of choice, but within, you know, with some boundaries around it, Great. So, you know, when I'm asking someone to take responsibility, I'd say, would you in the next five days ability for this? Mm-hmm. And, you know, then we can check back in and both report out on what we're hearing or whatever, you know, or all five of us or, how, you know, how, whoever you're inviting. But there is just, there is different commitment in that. I mean, commitment, in my experience, is like water on a dry plane because mm. we aren't called to our greatness. We aren't called to our commitment. A lot of times we are yeah, and then we're just, it's, we're missing so much opportunity. And so I certainly know with, with funders I've worked with, we, we, we aren't inviting people in that way. And, 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 and so there's a, you know, there's a very fragile relationship. And I, I used this language before, but one of the, one of my early posts that I ever wrote was, you know, are you attached or are you committed to your, to your philanthropic partners? And, and, and attachment means I'm, it's a very fragile relationship. It gets smaller and smaller over time. You're holding on really tightly. You're afraid that, you don't know if you've ever been in a relationship, like not even a, even a personal relationship where you really got attached to somebody. It's not a, you know, it's not a growth oriented right, right, relationship, right. right? The language of commitment is a language of, okay, we're actually committed to each other. There's commitment on both sides, right? right. And I think sometimes what happens in the domain of fundraising is there gets to be really deep commitment on the, on the part of the 
even on the part of the funder, sometimes more than the than the organization saying, I'm committed to you too. I'm committed mm-hmm. to your growth. I'm committed to, to not, you know, to your, what you care about and vice versa. Like that, that's how you create interdependence. Commitment leads to growth. It leads to expansion. It leads to learning in a different way. I, I don't know if you have an answer for this and I know we have sort of been over this, but I think, you know, part of what's so hard about what you're asking is that I think we kind of the air that we breathe in this capitalistic society is very much predicated on like extraction and like scarcity and I win, you lose. And so I guess I'm just wondering, how would you recommend that people continue to sort of move their personal velocity forward and continue to be in that space of bravery and abundance? Because I think, especially when things get hard, it's, it's a really hard thing to do. You know, it is, it is, it's a practice, right? All of this work is a practice and, and, and we don't learn by, by knowing we learn by doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I always use the example, if you don't learn to swim by reading a book on swimming, you learn to swim by jumping in the water or mm-hmm. the same with riding a bike or whatever. And so in that way too, just from a fundraising perspective and I'll answer your question in a minute, I feel like, you know, we, we in general, so this whole notion of creating relational commitment scares people because they say it's going to take a really long time. And it does. Relationships develop over time and they develop in the act of actually acting together. So when somebody's actually written a check, there's different, there's a different kind of energy at work when people are, have actually made the decision to jump into the pool or, you know, get on the mm-hmm. bike. And so getting people to actually start to do things with you is incredibly important, but it's going to come from, to really reside in this space is it comes from you asking yourself self continually some of these deeper questions. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions is, can I, and this is, I said this before, but this is one of the things I know for a fact that the pie can be made bigger mm. by going into any room. And I look mm-hmm. in that room and I'm like, there's just, I know there's like more time, <laughs> even mm-hmm. though time is, a, you know, our most valuable asset, there's more time, there's more commitment, there's more creativity, there's more experience, there's more financial resources. I mean, there just are mm-hmm. more resources to be galvanized, you know, in all of us. And so it, when I know that in myself, and I know that I have more generosity inside of me, there it's can ground myself in a different way to invite others. But if you're in the, if, if your worldview is that resources again, of all types, not just financial, are you know, incredibly scarce, then that's going to be a zero-sum game. And you're going to be back in that competitive mindset of how can I possibly ask for people to support me now in the middle of this, for example, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just, not, it's just not true. It's just not the truth of, yeah. of what's, what's real. Another thing that you've said in the past is that it's like very powerful imagery for me, which is you're asking people to stand shoulder to shoulder with you and to be with you under, you know, this mission that you both have been committed to. And I'm wondering if you can speak about what is the difference between putting money at the center of a relationship and putting the work at the center of of a relationship? Yeah. And there's a couple of things to say on that, you know, a couple of different pieces of it. But first is, I don't know about you, but if you've ever gotten money at the center of any relationship, not just with your philanthropic partners, but you and a friend, have you ever had money get between you and a friend? I have actually. Yeah. yeah. Right? And it's, 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 it's ugly. It's problematic. It, yeah, it's yeah. ugly. Or you and a, a partner or a spouse or you and a child or you and an employee. I mean, when money gets at the center of any relationship, there's going to be inherent in that a power dynamic where whoever mm-hmm. has the money ostensibly is in the power position, who's ever looking for the money is in the kind of supplicant position. And, and because that's what we too often do in this domain, we, you know, that's where that whole image of fundraising as kind of going in on bended knee mm-hmm. as a supplicant, asking someone to help you, 
you know, that's, that's where that comes from. When you start to see, okay, money is, is a resource, it's an important resource, but it needs to be put in its, in its rightful place, which is, you know, money is just the gas that goes in the car. It's not the car, it's not the driver, it's not the mm-hmm. destination. When it can go in its proper place, what gets at the center of the relationship is the work or the change. You know, and the relational commitment is the fuel that makes that work or change happen. But when you take, when you put work in the middle of the, the, the center, then again, everybody's bringing different resources. So you mm-hmm. as the executive director are bringing a different level of time, commitment, energy, expertise, you know, knowledge of what's happening in the field than probably your philanthropic partners. And they're bringing money, network, time, their creativity, you know, and, and, and that idea of combining resources in really powerful ways uh, is, 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 is so, you know, incredibly important in, in this space. So last question for you, and I just want to emphasize this for the listeners is you use the term philanthropic partner and not donor. And what, why is that important? Donor is inherently a powerful person who mm-hmm. you're dependent on. <laughs> and so for me, it's always kind of liberating this. It, and again, if you, you can use the word donor, but what, what, are you, what values are you infusing with it? Because mm. traditionally the, the word donor, I don't know the, because the, we're not creating customers. This is not an invitation to create customers, more customers. Customers opt in and out. That's about an excessive amount of choice. You can go wherever you want, whenever you want, mm-hmm. which is absolutely part of this free market society, but it's also also part of this this society of ours a good society is the invitation for people to be civic partners or you know the kind which which does require you not just opting in or out whenever things get get tough but actually saying we're going to stand together commit together win together and i feel like that language of donor just inherent again inherent in it is a dependency that we're trying to transcend well, Jennifer, we are out of time, but thank you so much for your time and, and for this thank really you. critical reminder to be our best selves, you know, to to aspire to something greater than just uh, the tactical means of fundraising. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.